Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Joel, for those of you who don't know. Uh, I've been coming to this church since October last year. Um, and some people still wonder why I'm here. Uh, but this, this, is, uh, this is my preach. Uh, this is something that I was asked if I would do. Um, the whole thing came about really when I, myself and my fiancée Abby, uh, there, uh, she, she and I went to Owen and Moen as leaders of the church, and uh, we talked about uh, us becoming members. And Moena said something rather foolish in, in my mind. She said, Joel, you strike me as a very wise person. And, and this sort of, I don't know, it encouraged me, which is probably a bad idea, to be honest. Um, it encouraged me into thinking, if I'm a wise person, maybe I could teach others to, to, to learn to, to love God more in various ways. I know, I, I could preach. Wouldn't that be fun? That'd be great. I'd love that. So I said, well, wise as I am, I, I, think, I think it'd be good if I could share that wisdom with other people. And Owen said, yeah, all right. How, how are you booked for 24th? Yeah, yeah, all right, excellent. So he gave me the, uh, the topic of uh, the kingdom parables. And I thought, well, that's easy enough. I, mean, I can do that. That's, uh, that's fine. And a couple of weeks into it, I realized that what I've got to research and study is a lot more in-depth and meaningful than I originally thought it would be. And so what I've come up with is something that God has told me about. Now, this, this is going to seem a, a little odd because what, what I was writing at the time was something that God was putting on my heart, on my head, and saying, look, Joel, you've got to say this, you've got to say that, you've got to say this, you've got to say that, you've got to say this, you've got to say that. And I was thinking to myself, this is brilliant, it's amazing, I've got, it's a revelation. Wonderful, I, I could just tell these people, this, and I'm writing it down, and as I'm writing, I'm thinking, how am I going to tell them this? I can't do it. It's so difficult. So, what I've done is I've taken the parable of the talents, and I'm going to try and explain it to you as best I can, and I'm sorry if it doesn't come across properly. If you need some questions answering, please come to me at the end. I'll try my best to explain it to you. Um, just quickly, before I actually get into it, on the way back from here this morning, I was dropped, I dropped off the PA, and I went back to uh, pick up Abby and Asher, and on the way down I had a bit of REM on the go, and, uh, on the CD player. And they were playing Losing My Religion, which is the song I, I rather like. And... The first line goes, um, life is bigger, bigger than you, and you are not me. Which, you know, strikes me as fairly obvious. Um, But life is bigger, bigger than you. And that struck me as, as very meaningful in its own right, because it's not about us. Life is bigger than just you. You are not me. Well, everyone is individual. That, that, that bit's already sort of self-explanatory. But life is bigger, bigger than you. There is a lot more to your lives than 
we all give ourselves credit for. Um, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at uh, Isaiah. Uh, Owen's been talking about it a lot. Uh, in the year King Isaiah died. A lot seemed to happen in the year that King Isaiah died. It's a shame that Isaiah missed a lot of it. Um, and apparently, I wasn't here for it, uh, about two weeks ago, uh, I was picking up my sister from Chichester, Owen was talking about a passage in Romans, I believe it was. Am I right in thinking that? Um, and that sparked up a wonderful discussion in a small group uh, regarding homosexuality and how it was not to be messed around with. Um, and apparently, if, if anyone who was politically correct walked in at the time, Owen would have been dragged away because it, it was so controversial. And he was really hammering uh, all these things that, we, that, that, that is wrong, that is sin, that is wrong that we do, or maybe not do, but we think about or not, and the sin that we actually commit. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we are sinners. We sin a lot. Yeah, that, that's, we, we were born sinning, we, we're going to die sinning. But, what is important to note is that Jesus died for us. He went up on the cross, he died, and he took the sins that we have committed. He, he, he bore it all himself. Um, so don't be so hard on yourself if you sin. Not at all. Because it, it's, it's just human nature, it happens. Um, but Satan is just tripping us up all the time. He's, he's going to keep going again and again and again because he wants to widen that gap between you and God. That's all it is. That's just Satan being annoying. Um, right. So. Let's open up with it. Parable of the Talents. Matthew chapter 25 verse 14. If you've got your Bibles, if you'd like to turn with me. Here we go. Again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those sermons returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well then you should have put your money on deposit with the bankers. So that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has, will be, who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right. 
So, I'm going to take you through this. There is another version in Luke, actually, Luke 19.11. It says a very similar thing. But I want to focus on Matthew's version. Um, his, his gospel tends to be a bit more accurate, I feel. There have been several interpretations of this passageway, all of which hinge upon what the talents are. Uh, some have believed them to be the actual talents that we acquire as we grow older, you know. But others believe them to be services to the church. But this morning, I'm going to be looking at these gifts, uh, not these talents, sorry, being spiritual gifts. Um, it's always something I've rather thought about um, when I read this passage. I feel that the talents have always really represented something that God has given us in a, in a, in a psychological, supernatural, or even physical manner. Um, now, spiritual gifts take the form of various things, uh, some natural, some not so much, but there's one certainty linking them all together, and that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, under the fear I'm going to be ending up missing bits, I'll, I'll say that we're going to come back to the idea of the Holy Spirit. I feel that the Holy Spirit is something that we've often overlooked, um, and yet it's integral to our lives. So, so much so that perhaps we need to cover it more and more now, now that God's on the move. Um, so we'll step back, away from that passage right for a moment, uh, and we'll look at something else. Um, Owen asked that I look at one of the Kingdom Parables. Now, the Kingdom Parables is something I've never really known about. I hadn't thought much about the Kingdom of God, the Kingdom of Heaven. And I went out and did a bit of research, and as it happens, a lot of the parables start with the Kingdom of Heaven is like, or the Kingdom of God is like. Um, and I think we've all heard that, you know, in, in, in various parables. Uh, but it then tends to be that we're dealing with a metaphor or an analogy of something. Uh, it's something that describes something that is real and all around us. And far too often, I think, that people take the parable a little too literally, or they don't take, it, take in the fact that the meaning behind it is intertwined with our lives to such an extent that we can change the world as we know it if we only stop to think about it. So, observe, we have a master who I take to be God. Uh, and we have the servants, who I take to be us, in, in no particular order, just plain old us. But if you notice at this point that the relationship between the two is predominant, uh, shown by the fact that uh, the master has entrusted his wealth to these people. You know, it's, it's a relationship based entirely on trust. Uh, talent, by the way, is uh, worth thousands of pounds. You know, it's a big matter of trust. You know, you give someone thousands of pounds, you know, you trust them to give it back eventually. Well, I would anyway. Uh, we're talking a lot of money, very serious amount of money. Now, to one servant, he leaves five talents, so five thousands of pounds. And to another, he leaves two, and another, he leaves one. Now, why does he do that? Why doesn't he give them all two and keep two for himself? Because he doesn't need it. He has wealth of his own. He wants to see what, what his servants will do with it. Has he got favourites? I mean, possibly. He's given one five, one two, one one. I mean... It is possible he has favourites. But it doesn't mention anything about it. To be honest, I think he probably gave the most to the one who does the most work. Uh, other than that, I, I should guess he has no favourites and gave what he wanted to whoever. He may have wanted to see if there would be a jealousy arising between them or a feud. Something like that, you know. Um, but who knows? He's the master and he can do what he likes. You know, I'm not going to argue with that. But this isn't the crux of the story. The crux of the story is... What do the guys do with the money when they've got it? When the master gets back, he finds that the first servant has put all his money to good use. 
uh, better than that, he's done the best he can with what he had. He took no risks, he followed his master's skills, Bob's your uncle, he's made a bit of money. Fab, says the master, you've done grand, you get to have loads of my stuff, you can even ride the combine harvester. He, he says, and off he goes. The second servant pops up, all the extra money he's made in his hands, he throws it at him, he says, Sir, master, I've done it, it's brilliant, I've got all this money, master says, same thing again, you get to have all the stuff that I've got, you can ride the combine harvester, off you go, Whee! Now, that's fine. I think we can all we can all relate to that. You know, you, you give something, you get something. You do the work for it. It's going to come back. The rewards are going to be fantastic. However, the third man turns up. The third servant. He's had uh, he's had a bit of a thought process going in his mind. He sees the first two servants getting the reward that's deserved to them, and he's sitting there thinking, "Hang about. I haven't actually done any work with the money that's been given to me." And yet, looking at these two guys, they've got exactly the same thing. If I put the work in with the one talent I had, I could have had exactly the same as these two guys. I've messed up. And he's sitting there wetting himself because he knows that the master's going to come up and he's going to slap him a bit and chuck him out because this guy hasn't done the work that he's meant to. But let's just take a step back. In each case, the master has given exactly the same to each of the first two servants. One had five talents, one had two. One must have had less money than the other. All right? He must have, sorry, he must have made less money. Uh, there's no doubt about that, really. Um, however, the master has given them exactly the same thing. Now, why has he done that? Because that's not fair on, on one of the guys, the one who's made more money. He, well, okay, he may have done more work and got more money as a result. Or the other guy with the two talents did a lot more work in order to keep up with the guy with the five talents. Stop me if I'm confusing you. In whichever case... The, ma the master gave them the same thing. Now, my question at this point is, should they, the servants, argue about the fact that they've both been given the same thing? Should they argue about the fact that one may have put more work in than the other, which may not be the case, but in a day and age where there's hard labour going about, it wouldn't surprise me, and still get the same reward as the guy he's working with? Or should they be happy for each other, doing the same thing under the same master and getting the same reward at the end of it? That's my first of a couple of questions. So, servants one and two sources off and away, enjoying the fruits of their labour. The, the, the third servant shows up, realising that he's lost out on this reward. And he, uh, he's, he's struggling to think about what he's going to say. I mean, what would you do in his situation? I would find an excuse. I'd probably say, my back's hurting. Yeah, I, I couldn't do all the work. I didn't have the time to do it. I, actually, my wife was pregnant. I had to take her to the hospital. She had a baby. It's, it's a boy. Thank you. Um, and, and I couldn't get the work done that you actually asked me to do. But if you give me another week or two, I'll be happy to go on and do that and get the money back. And then you can have it and it'd be brilliant. Um, but the master isn't happy with that. So here we go. The master turns up to the third sermon. He says, what have you got for me? And what does the third servant say? He says, you are a hard man. Yeah, he knew this guy, this master of his, was going to come down on him like a ton of bricks, and he was scared. Yeah, he didn't believe that he was capable of going out into the fields, the fields of his master, and working with that single talent that he had. So he hid it. He didn't even try to gain interest, and that's just laziness, to be honest. I think if any of us was given money and was expected to bring something back, even if we didn't work for it, I think we'd have the common sense to go off and put it in interest. Okay, we won't get as much back, but you're still getting the return. Um, so 
So we hit it. And what did he do in the meantime? I mean, who knows? Uh, he, we know he didn't spend it. Um, so he's faithful servant, I suppose, to a certain degree. Um, he may have been working the job his master had given him while, while he was away, but not with the talent that had been given to him. He may have been parting, but it isn't important what he did. What's important is that the knowledge of that talent being in his possession and him not using it must have been burning him up inside. Now, how does a man live like that? He, he doesn't. Because it, it eats away into the mind and the heart and it will destroy a man. He says, I know you're a man who reaps where he doesn't sow. Now, what does that mean? Personally, I'm, I'm not entirely certain. My educated guess is that he reaps where others he's in charge of sow. The master reaps where, he, where others he's in charge of sow. So, let me try and explain this. Because this is one of the things that God has put on my mind that I struggle to explain. In relation to life nowadays, the word of God has to spread across the world. And God's word hasn't hit various places in the world. And it's our job as followers of God and Jesus to go out there and spread the word of God. Ultimately, that's what we've got to do. And what my interpretation of this bit, reap where he doesn't sow, is that God will come one day and he will harvest what has been sown for him, of him, through his word. So, let's say that there's a little village in Africa that's just never heard of God and God would never have gone over there and reaped up all the Christians that, hit, that were there because he knew there weren't any and it would be our job to go over there and plant all these Christian um, sites and villages and, and all sorts and bring them up and just show God look, it's here, it's all yours and God would come and he would take those Christians under his wing that is what I interpret as reap where, you don't, where, where he doesn't sow if anyone's got any other interpretation of that Please stay quiet now and speak to me later. <coughs> um, and that will tie in nicely with the points I'm going to be making later as well. Um, wicked and lazy servant. You know, it's harsh. He's a very harsh chap. You knew I was all these things you said about me and you still didn't make the most out of what I gave you. Now, what do you think I am? Made of money? I mean, well, I am. So, I'm sorry, Derek, but you're fired. Because Derek's his name. Because servants out there, they, they were called Derek or Colin or Melekabuk. So, he fires him. And he sends him off to the place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. And I don't know about you, but I don't know anyone who wants to go there. Well, I know one guy who wants to go there, but he's a bit of an oddball. So Joel, that's a wonderful story, you tell it really well. But what does it have to do with me? And what does it have to do with the kingdom of heaven? Well, it has everything to do with you, and it has everything to do with the kingdom of heaven. So that's the, that's the end of the first part of my preach. You know, that's just getting the passage over and done with. So take a quick breath, chill out, let's get into the three things. I'm going to tell you a story. A few years ago, well many years ago, I was, I was in my early teens. Uh, I was wandering about the kitchen. I was living in Rosston at the time. Wandering about the kitchen and I see an easel. Big easel with canvas, everything. And on this easel, this painting, this painting is a huge landscape. It's got mountains, it's got rivers, it's got lakes, it's got trees, everything, all, all sorts, eagles soaring about all over the place. And I'm looking at it and thinking, wow, what a painting, this is amazing. You know, I was only like 12 years old and I was looking at it and thinking, this is an amazing painting. And I look at the bottom corner and it says, A. Leverton. Who's that? That's my dad. My dad painted that picture. Wow, how cool is that? 
that is amazing. I'm looking at it, and the way he's done it, he's used sort of acrylic paint, and he's, the brush strokes he's done have made the paint come off the canvas slightly, just ever so slightly, little bubbles of, of paint, just to add to that 3D effect. And I'm looking at this painting, really, really sort of, ooh, that's, that's funny. What are you doing coming off it? Yeah, that's good. And I thought, I wonder if they're solid. I wonder if I could break one off. And of course I was wrong, the paint was wet. So I'm sort of reaching out, I went, oh no, oh no! And a huge fingerprint has ended up on the painting. I'm looking at everything thinking, my dad's going to kill me. Poo. <laughs> and I ran off. Anyway, my dad comes in, he sees the fingerprint. I mean, to be honest, I, I, I would have noticed it, you know, just looking at it. If I hadn't done it, if I hadn't known it was going to be there, I would have noticed it. But he noticed it, he sees it, he that's a fingerprint. That's not my fingerprint. Where'd that come from? And he goes, zooming through the house, there's only four of us at the time. There's Mum, me, Mary, Peter, Asher. No, who's the other one? Mary. No. You. Me. Me and me. Yeah, it's me. Who's <laughs> <laughs> in my family? Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I, I think Asher was just a wee child at the time, if anything. He wouldn't have been able to reach the easel. So Dad's running through the house trying to find either myself or my sister because he knows he's one of us. And he's going to string us up by the ankles and slap us about. Um, so I just ran for my life. Anyway, he grabbed me in the end and he made me look at the painting and he's like, what are you doing that for? And I'm sorry. And he chastised me, forgave me, and I went off on my way and he rectified the fingerprint that I'd made. Um... Now, since then, I've smudged more of his paintings, you know, whether accidentally or deliberately, you know, sometimes I got into a very bad mood with him, and I just go, um, but the point that I'm trying to make with this story is that when we come to God, when we come to Jesus and accept that Jesus is Saviour, God gives us a blank canvas. I like this analogy, personally. Yeah, this just sort of popped into my head and I thought, oh, I like this, I'll, I'll run with this. God gives us this blank canvas. And it's up to us to decide how this canvas is going to be painted on. Now this canvas is your Christian life. With your Christian life, you have various boundaries and these are the edges of the canvas. You can't paint off canvas because there's nothing to paint on. So things like, blasphemy and lustfulness and greediness and laziness and such like they're not on the canvas you can't paint those on the canvas because God won't let you if you want to try and paint it off the canvas yeah, be my guest, you're going to struggle because there's no canvas there but if you want to paint them that's your own problem God's always going to be there, he's going to be ready to paint on this canvas for you but if you do not want to and you want to go off and do your own sinful things yeah, be my guest. I wouldn't recommend it. Because God might get really angry with you. Um, so let me try and explain. You are not the one that's going to be painting on this canvas. God is going to be painting on this canvas. That's, that's something that we've got to get straight off right now. Done, sorted, okay? Because it's something that every preacher will tell you. You are not in control of your life. You can make the choices 
you can go off, choose to do that, choose to do that, choose to do that. But ultimately, God is in control of your life. He's watching you all the time, and it's up to you to decide whether you're going to be part of God's story or your own story. And that's an important point to make, because if you choose not to be a part of God's story, you're on your own. God's not going to, he's, he's, he's always going to be there, but he's not going to want to help you. Not unless you want to help yourself. God doesn't paint off canvas. So God doesn't endorse things like blasphemy and lustfulness and such like. Um, since the beginning, man has always loved the idea of being in control. So when God shows up, for some people it's a little bit difficult to get their head around the idea that God is in, is in control of their lives. Now don't get me wrong, we're free to make the choices, but God knows the best path. And he knows that if you follow him, you'll make the right choices too. Even if you don't like the options being given to you, you'll make the right choices. Right? So back to the painting. You've started life anew with a blank canvas. You think, I'm going to have a snow-capped mountain. That's what I want. I want a snow-capped mountain. I want the lake, a nice icy lake there. I want trees. I want a fir tree there. Snow all over it. I think that'd be good. And you watch. You watch as the breaststrokes hit the sheet. And you think to yourself, Amen. Yeah, go on. Uh, you think to yourself, wait a minute, that's a yellow hill. I, I don't want a yellow hill on my canvas. That's just stupid. God, what do you think you're playing at? And you start seeing a little green root coming up from under the, under the, the yellow hill. And you think, is it, what's that? It's a green, is, that, is that my fir tree? Is that, that's a cactus. What's a cactus doing on my canvas? That makes no sense. I wanted the Alps. I wanted the, 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 the lakes and the trees and the mountains. But I, I, didn't, I, didn't want, I didn't want the desert. I didn't want the Sahara. Now don't get me wrong, God. What you've painted here is fantastic. It's wonderful. I love it. I think it's one of the best paintings I've ever seen in my life. But I don't really want the desert. I wanted the Alps. And you know what God says to that? He says, tough. He says, if you want to follow me, you've got to go with what you don't like. But you know I'll see you through. But isn't that always the way? I mean, I don't believe that I have a calling to help prisoner rehabilitation. But if God says, yeah, you do, then who am I to argue? But God, I wanted that, that cushy number, you know, giving soup to the starving. I mean, have you seen me ladling the soup into the bowls? I mean, I'm a natural. But God says, no, you'll be dealing with society's criminals. Because I love them as much as I love you. It's a good job that you wanted to do that service with the soup, but it's time to move away from that thought now and work towards the goal I've set you. So now you've got a desert instead of a mountainside. And that's okay, it could be worse. So let's do what God says and he'll see us through. Now that's something that Owen's been talking about over the past few weeks, stepping out of our comfort zones. And it's a big, big issue. We've got to do it. We've got to step out of what, what we feel is comfortable and cushy. Hello. I've got a coaster. <laughs> We've got to step out of what we, what we really feel we're good at and move on to something that God has put our hearts to do. And we may not know what that is yet, but... If we follow what God says, he'll take us through. And one, at one point, you're going to hit an obstacle and you're going to say to yourself, I'm not too sure I'm going to be good at that. And God's going to say, yeah, you will. You'll be fine because I'm with you. 
So we follow God as much as we can. And along the way, he adds to your painting. I mean, where there was a barren desert, there's a cactus. Now there's an oasis with palm trees and an eagle soaring in the sky with fluffy clouds all over and a beautiful sunset. And you questioned this before. You know, all these added extras, they look fantastic on your painting. They look amazing. And you're thinking, how could I possibly have questioned what God had planned for me in the beginning, at the start of my Christian life? I wanted that, I've got that, I'm so glad. Because God has chosen that for me. And all these little bits, these palm trees and the eagles and the clouds and the suns and the oasis and the little, little rivery thing. These are all the experiences that God has put in your life. In our lives. And we've all, we've all experienced it. We've all had a canvas at one time or another. And we know when God's thrown a tree in there because it's impacted our lives. I mean it could be... It could be help that sprung up from somewhere. It, it could be a skill that you've learned. It could be the partner you've never had who's joined the cause. God will bless you again and again and again, so long as you remain faithful to him. Now you remember that, that, I, that I smudged the painting of my dad. My dad. I'll give you three guesses what that smudge is a metaphor of. What I am a metaphor of in smudging that painting. I'm not going to give you three guesses. I'm just going to tell you. That metaphor is for the devil. I never ever thought in my entire life that I'd managed to wheedle my way into becoming a metaphor for the devil. <laughs> the irony. <clears throat> so yeah, on our Christian path, the devil will rear its ugly head. And it's going to make an attempt to break that relationship that you have with God. I've lost my place. Yeah. Break that relationship with God. And it's something that we've all worked hard to try and try and build up to work towards and to understand and I, I don't pretend to understand God I don't and the devil knows that unfortunately so he does something that is unlike God or, or places emphasis on a part of God's work that didn't go my way just so that I can become a bit angrier with him and the devil will smudge your painting but it's important very important for you all to know that God is always brushing it back into perfection I mean, you may not notice it because you're so wrapped up in the effect of the smudge, but ignore them. I mean, they're just, they're just slight setbacks, you know, and it's not your fault. So, so long as you strive to become like Jesus, there is no reason why you should fret or doubt or worry about the devil's smudge. He's just trying to block perfection. And where God is concerned, that never, ever works. So put your trust and your faith in God, and he will see you right. There is no doubt. So let's go back to the passage. Now if we were to look at the idea of the talents that were passed to the servants as spiritual gifts, how would this passage affect our lives? Well, quite dramatically I should imagine. First we need to determine what the spiritual gifts are. Uh, I should imagine most of you know what they are. Uh, but for the sake of those who don't, and because I like the sound of my own voice, I'll recap. So uh, if you've got your Bible, if you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are different kinds of gifts. 
the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works in all of them, in all men. Now to each one of the manifestation of the Spirit is sorry. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. That's one. To another the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another the gift of healing by that same Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the works of one and same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. And if you carry on reading, it talks about the church being one of many parts. No, one body of many parts. Many parts within the church, which I'll mention in a sec. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, I thought it might be worthwhile just running through each of these gifts one by one, just to be sure that we know what they're on about. I had to do a couple of dictionary definitions for this. So I was looking at them and thinking, like, it makes... I, I think I know what it means, but I'm just going to check it out. I'm not entirely certain. So wisdom, the quality of being wise, the, the knowledge and the capacity to make due use of it, knowledge of the best ends and the best means, discernment and judgment, discretion. Common sense, in an uncommon degree, is what the world calls wisdom. It's by, by a guy called Coleridge. I never looked him up, unfortunately. Now doesn't that strike you as something that we often see we, all, we often look at a situation and think oh man I, I can't quite get my head around this and an outsider comes in and says actually if you look at it that way and that way and that way that makes a lot of sense and you look at it and think how in the world did I miss that out that's like a jigsaw puzzle it's just slotted into place and wisdom is apparently uh, a spiritual gift that I have <laughs> apparently I'm not entirely certain how people figure it out but there you are Knowledge. The act or state of knowing, clear perception of fact, truth or duty, certain apprehension, familiar cognizance or cognition. Uh, knowledge in respect of the Holy Bible. We're looking at something where someone is given the gift of knowing and interpreting decently something or scripture passed away from the Bible. Um, there was... Yes. Just bear with me a second. There we go. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. That's 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Knowledge is useful in its capacity. Faith. Faith. Ah, now here we go. This was something that I'd written up a couple of weeks ago. And last Sunday, last Sunday afternoon, Abby and I and Asher and Dad and Mary... Peter, we all went to the cinema and we watched a film called Angels and Demons and this is based on a Dan Brown book Dan Brown, the guy who wrote The Da Vinci Code which a lot of Christians turned up and said oh, um, and Angels and Demons is the prequel to this book to, to The Da Vinci Code and I've read the book and I really enjoyed it so I went out and I went to watch this film and the film is really good if you haven't read the book, read the book if you haven't seen the film, see the film it's a good film, it's a good book that's all you need, really need to know Tom Hanks is in it you know and you McGregor, yeah. Anyway, there's a scene 
where Ewan McGregor's character, he plays the Camelengo, like the second in command, the priest's assistant, as it were, the priest, the Pope's assistant, sorry. And he plays the Camelengo. And Ewan McGregor is in this huge room in the Vatican. And he's talking with Tom Hanks' character, Robert Langdon, a symbologist, someone who sees the side of religion and sees the side of um, atheism. And the, the Pope has just died, and they wonder if there's a bit of a conspiracy going on. And the Camelengo, Hugh McGregor, takes Tom Hanks' character to one side and says, Do you believe in God? And Tom Hanks comes off with some jargon, Well, I believe that God is some fiction. No, 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 no. Do you believe in God? Well, I feel that scientifically... No. Do you believe in God? Yes or no? And Tom Hanks' character pauses for a second. And he says, Faith is not a gift that I've received. Or, to that effect, faith is not a gift I've not yet received, maybe. I I briefly made a note of that. So I thought, that is something very meaningful. Pivotal, in fact, to a lot of people's faith. But I'm thinking to myself, faith as a spiritual gift is something that can be put upon people who don't even know God. Or people who who know of him but aren't too sure how to make that relationship work and it's it's only something that's in the beginning stages in my mind it's not something I actually focused on but it's something that made me think faith is not something that we all have here together just on, on its own faith is something that we can give to people who don't even know about God uh Healing. Healing is fairly obvious. Um, we all went to Bedford. Well, not all of us, but uh, large chunk of us went to Bedford uh, to take part in the treasure hunt. Uh, and we all saw various miracles going on there of the healing kind. And I was with Be- Betty and, and Paula. And we went off and toddled off and, and did some healing of, of various kinds to various people. And it's important to know at this point that Betty healed someone, as I remember. And I think Paula healed someone, as I remember, through God. But I didn't. And I, at the time, I wasn't that bothered. I've done it before. I've been really annoyed, really angry. Because I, I thought at one time or another, wow, I could just breeze through the streets and I'll brush against someone there and they'll be healed of whatever it is it is and, and there's someone with crutches and I'll kick the crutch away and they'll, they'll just walk and they'll dance and it doesn't happen it doesn't happen like that it's important to know that not everyone is suited to a particular gift <clears throat> and the sooner you accept that the sooner you realise that you can focus on the gift that is more suited to you because God has given it to you miraculous powers I see that as being sort of water to wine, uh, the fish and loaves, something that isn't healing, that is miraculous, that helps for the common good. Prophecy, a declaration of something to come, a foretelling, a prediction, an inspired foretelling. Looking at something that's going to happen in the future. And this church has several prophecies upon it. Um, 
I don't know if I have the gift of prophecy, but I do know that this church is going to go somewhere. I do know that this church is going to get bigger and bigger. It's going to find a building very soon. I don't know what it is, but something's telling me, yeah, this church is going to go far. Tongues. No, sorry, distinguishing between spirits. Um, This is someone, usually a Christian, who can tell the intentions of a person. Good or bad intentions. Um, It says quite a lot in the New Testament that, I think it was Paul, would often look at people who were preaching something or selling something or whatever. And he would look at them and say, that person is lying. Don't trust them. You get out. Get off the street. Don't want anything to do with you. You are evil. There is a spirit within you and it's not good. Go on better, I'll pray for you. Um, And that's always a good thing for for people because a lot of people are paranoid that preachers lie or they skirt around the truth. And it's always good to have someone within the church who knows whether the intention of that person is good or not. So tongues, speaking in a different language. Either to prove to others that God is speaking to them or to get closer to God themselves. Um, Speaking in tongues can be a focus point for some people. Speaking in tongues was always something that I was a bit iffy about. There was a guy at the King's Arms Church in Bedford who would come up to the front and he'd take the microphone and he'd sing in tongues. And he'd then pause for a second, maybe two, and then he'd interpret what he just said. And this, this always threw me. I never understood it, because it always says in the Bible that um, people within the church should wait expectantly for an interpretation of tongues. And I spoke to Owen about it, and thank goodness Owen was there, because he managed to put it all right. He said, I know the guy, vaguely. I think he was a bit confused. I think he just likes... The attention sometimes. He can speak in tongues. He just gets a bit carried away. And this again is where distinguishing between spirits can come in. Because we can see whether or not he's doing it for the attention. Or whether or not he's actually speaking to God. But what it says around the Pentecost uh, verses. um, That these people, the disciples, went out and spoke in all sorts of different tongues. That all the people around them knew about. And they knew that these people could not know about these languages. Or could not speak these languages. So they knew that God must must have touched them somehow. And that was proof enough for them that God existed. And then of course you've got the interpretation. There are people who can interpret tongues. But that goes hand in hand with speaking in tongues really. Um, Like I say, if you wait expectantly for an interpretation, it will come. If it doesn't, you keep it to yourself and the interpretation will come at another time. Now the Holy Spirit and the gifts it provides are something that are very rarely covered in, in a literal sense. I mean, it probably has been covered, but never really taken seriously. I mean, I've, I've certainly never been told in the preach that these gifts are available to me through the power of God. If someone said to me, you are very wise, I'd have had no thought of any spiritual aspect to it. One is wise through the Spirit. If I say something that's full of wisdom, it isn't through me, and me alone, but through the Holy Spirit. Now why is this? Because wisdom is a psychological thought process largely made up of common sense and logic. And I don't need to tell you that there are some people in the world who lack common sense. Wisdom is something that is given to you. 
Now people believe that a wise person is wise because that is how they've been brought up or through life experiences. Okay, I'll run with that. I mean, it could be something that is acquired rather than given. But on the grounds that wisdom is a spiritual gift, how can you explain that healing is something that is acquired? I mean, at what point did my mum turn to me and say, Joel, this is how you heal someone. There you go, try it. She didn't. She didn't teach me how to heal people. She didn't teach me to be wise. Wise. Because she can't teach me. You can't be taught these gifts. These are gifts that you have to pray for through the Holy Spirit from God. Uh, yes, bringing back from the dead. This was a big thing for me. Bringing back from the dead was a very big thing for me because a lot of you know, my mum died about three years ago. And I was very distraught about it. And I was learning about all this, th- these ideas that we could go out and heal people, that we could bring people back from the dead. The preacher at the King's Arms told me that there was a church somewhere out in America that had seen over 100 people brought back from the dead in about five years. I thought, that is amazing. I will go to Wales. I will dig up my mother and bring her back to life. How amazing would that be? Probably not a good idea. You might get arrested. At the same time, If I did it now, it might be a bit awkward. Um, But, having said that, it is possible. For those of you who saw The Finger of God, the DVD, remember the the guy in Africa, I can't remember his name, Frank I think it was, or something like that, who was beaten to death, brought back to life, healed of all his wounds, and he forgave the guys who did it. And one of them has turned around and become a Christian now. I think a Christian speaker, in fact. It happens. People are brought back from the dead. One th- the one thing that cannot possibly happen, people brought back from the dead. It is happening nowadays. I'm sorry to be going all supernatural on you, but I'm afraid we're living in a world that, where supernatural things happen. Bob's ankle. That's, a, just, that's just one supernatural thing. It may not seem like a lot, but, you know, we all love Bob. Well, I, well, yeah, that's alright Bob it happens, it's happening all, all the time and this is just in this church and this is, this is a pretty small church but if it's happening here, now this church is going to get bigger and bigger because people are going to be coming in and seeing all the miracles that are going on here but you've got to get out of your comfort zone in order to do it now this is where the, the problems are coming in for me because I've had all this stuff come on me from God and it's a lot of stuff. It's all come, all in one go. And I'm trying desperately to get it all in one nice, neat little package so that everyone can, can understand it. And I will try my best to now explain what, what I'm talking about. Just got to get my head around it first. <clears throat> if you don't shift out of your comfort zone, you are never going to know what God is capable of in your life. You can pray and pray and pray to the Holy Spirit for the gifts that you want. But you may not get them. You may get the gift that you don't feel is suitable for you. Now, I wanted healing. I wanted the gift of healing. I don't think I'm going to get it. I'll keep praying for it. 
but I don't think I'm going to get it because I think I'll get another gift that I don't want and I think God's going to use me with that gift that I don't want to make people's lives better and I think he's going to do the same for every single one of you in here if you pray for it I think that's an important point you must pray for it and once we have these gifts given to us through the Holy Spirit why shouldn't we use them every day every hour, every minute because we know that God has given them to us and he's going to use them through us for everyone there is nothing stopping us at all from going out and doing what we want Mark, you said you healed someone you healed Layla, didn't you? over the phone I think that's amazing I think Mark should do it again I think you should find someone by the end of the day and heal them I do I do, there's nothing stopping you nothing at all but okay, healing's an awkward one because you know you go out and heal someone, they're better than think, that's amazing, it's a miracle, I'll come to church. That's why everyone wants healing. If you're wise, it takes a little bit more coercion, I suppose, to make people realise that Christianity is a good faith, uh, yeah, good religion. If you speak in tongues, atheists are going to look at you thinking, you're a weirdo. But if it's a tongue they've never heard of, if it's a tongue that you won't possibly have ever studied, they're going to think to themselves, alright, alright, yeah. Yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe there is something supernatural going on. These gifts should be used every day when we've got them. If we haven't got them, we pray for them. And it's the Holy Spirit that does this. It's so important to understand that the coming of the kingdom of God is not a gradual thing. Listen to this. Luke 17, 20 and 21. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Now, I don't know about you. I've only been coming to the New Frontiers for a few years. And I've heard and seen numerous miracles. That suggests to me... There's something in a similar vein to Narnia, which you know, based on Christianity, that God is on the move. Aslan's on the move, God is on the move. And he is, through us. But now listen to these. Matthew 12, verse 28. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Mark 12, 34. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Luke 10. Verse 9, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Luke 21, 31, even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 4, 20. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And I read these passages and I think to myself that the Holy Spirit is something far more real than I'd ever thought. The Holy Spirit isn't just a swirling mist that some people see and others don't. It isn't just something that people talk about and and don't experience. The Holy Spirit is real and alive and within us all right now. It's in every single one of us right now. All it needs now is for you to make it alive with the work of God. You remember that God said to Moses, among others, you will do my wonders. 
And how much more amazing will the world be when we take the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us and use them for the good of those around us to glorify God. The parable of the talent starts with the words, the kingdom of God is like. Well, this is it. The kingdom of God is here now within us all. It has been for as long as we gave our lives to Christ. In relation to the passage, the gifts of, uh, of the Spirit are the talents God has given us. <coughs> With these gifts, we must spread God's love across the world. We need to sow the seeds of the Word of God in areas that haven't been reached. Because when the Lord comes around to harvest his creation, he will take into account the work that has gone into it by your hand. And when God stands us before him on judgment day and says, what have you done with what I have given you? We can turn around and with no guilt and no shame say, I have done what you have asked with what you have given. And God will say, good and faithful servant, you have done as I have asked and I shall put you in charge of many things. The Holy Spirit isn't something to be feared, but accepted on a regular basis. I was talking with Mark and Tim a few weeks ago and I'd got the wrong end of the stick. You know, with the Corinthians passage about the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, it read as though we only acquire one gift of the Spirit. And I was put in my place, most definitely. I was. I was I, they, they were slapping me and said, you are well wrong. Shut up. Yeah, he laughs because it's true. But by no means are we restricted to one gift. All the gifts are available to all in the church. So there's no excuse. We should be striving to acquire all these gifts. And not for us. We don't want to heal someone and go around saying, Hey, look what I did. Ah. It's always through the power of God's Holy Spirit. <clears throat> One final thing before we close. They are doing well, eh? Let me just run through these for you. 1 Corinthians 14.12 So it's with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts try to excel in gifts that build up the church 1 Corinthians 2.12 we've not received the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us Daniel 5.14 I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight intelligence and outstanding wisdom 1 Corinthians 14 verse 15 so what shall I do I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. Matthew chapter 3 verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We know that Jesus cried out as he died, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And Stephen said the same thing alongside many other people in the Bible. And since. Our spirit is what leaves us when we die. Our spirit goes to, to join God and the vessel stays down here and gets royal treatment by men in black suits and top hats who often seem quite freaky. But doesn't that go to show though that our spirit is what drives us through life to leave us at the end? Doesn't that go to show that we should be trying to fill ourselves at every moment with the Holy Spirit so that we can do what we can for the Lord and for the world who knows little of him. How often have you thought of the Holy Spirit? And how full of the Holy Spirit are you on a daily basis? I'm done now. If there's any questions, I'll be having a cup of tea outside.
We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. 